Well, good morning and welcome to the first official online worship that we've ever had in totality. And it's the very first Sunday morning that I have uh, awakened and thought, boy, I hope nobody comes. <laughs> Just not something you think of a lot as a pastor of a church. Hi, everybody. I'm Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing all that we possibly can to continue to serve and to minister. And we'll be um, upping uh, our capability to do that electronically through emails and texts and videos and other things. This morning, if you're at home in a small group, God bless you for doing that. And if you're at home with your family, we encourage and invite you to engage in the worship service. Uh, it may seem awkward, but go ahead and try to sing as we sing and pray when we pray and study. At the close of the message today, we're going to give you uh, we're going to give you three questions that you can discuss among your family or among your small group as it relates to the message this morning. Just so you know, we're excited to have about forty of the reader family with us, and in a few minutes, we're going to be able to enjoy three baptisms. Two from Pastor Dennis Webb and the Bear Creek Community Church, and then Riley Reeder will be baptized this morning as well. Well, let me pray for you and pray for our community, and then we're going to get straight into our worship this morning. Let's pray together. God, this is a time of reflection for all of us. We're we're trying to figure out simple things like how do we greet each other? Where should we go? How much food and toilet paper should we buy? Where will we go and what would happen if we lost our job? There's a lot of unrest and uneasiness. There will be some separation and some loneliness. And yet we know and we stand today on the promise that we are never alone because you are with us. And that our worry can decrease, our anxiety can go down, our fears can go away because of the faith that we have in you. And we know that while the world talks a doomsday experience, you talk of strength and hope and life and the future. God, we love you, and we're here to worship you this morning because at the end of the day, when things are about you, we don't have to worry and fret. When things are about you, we can move through life, particularly those of us in Christ, we can move through life with a sense of hope, with a burden on our heart to minister and to love and to comfort and to encourage those around us who may be filled with fear. May our faith be stronger than ever before. And may we worship you today knowing that you are the king who sits on high. We worship you today with all of our heart, wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen. invite you to worship with us this morning. For those of us here, go ahead and stand up and let's worship and sing together. We are united in the name of Jesus, so let's all sing wherever we are. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will
Jesus, and we have the privilege today of witnessing some who are coming today to give their lives to him and declare their faith in him. So let's join them now. Thank you. Good morning, Christ Church, and good morning to those of you from Bear Creek that may be watching this. It is my privilege to be in the house of the Lord once again. Also, it's my privilege to be able to see what God is doing in the lives of some men. I've got two men here that I'm going to baptize this morning who profess faith faith in Jesus Christ, and uh, they want to follow that up with baptism in obedience to the scriptures. So uh, John Starks is my first baptism candidate, and John, on the profession of your faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is my friend Riley Reeder. And Riley comes today to profess her faith in Christ and be baptized. All of her family is here together. And Riley, this is a special day. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Yes, sir. And are you re willing and re ready to give your life to him, to make him the Lord, the boss of your life? Yes, sir. All right. Then it's my privilege, Riley, to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's continue our time of worship this morning. Let's continue in worship this morning.
So we recognize that this these are troubled times. We got an email yesterday. It's one example. I'm just going to read it to you. Single mom who 
volunteers in our children's program and is a member of Christ Church. She's here every Sunday. Her two kids are here. Here's her email. I wanted to reach out because at this point I am worried. My family is having a really hard time finding food and water. I've been in all the stores I know and food is just gone. No eggs, no milk, no nothing. Please help. We are buying McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, but can't keep on like this since the kids' last day of school was yesterday. So now they're on vacation and even for a long time. Instead of just one meal a day, I need to provide three. There's just no food anywhere. And the worry that comes up with a food shortage, with concerns about, you know, can I get sick? Is this sniffle the beginning of illness? And we're going to talk, I'm going to announce at the close of the service some ways that as a church, we're going to come together. We're going to be able to make a difference in our community. I'm eager to share that with you. But here's what occurs to me. The The followers of Jesus felt the same way the morning that the tomb was rolled away. They were worried that their Lord was gone. He was buried, and they didn't know what to do. And it was the religious leaders that had put him in, so they were worried about that. They were worried about the government. They were worried about their existence. They were worried. They were worried. And then Jesus appeared. And he specifically said, you don't have to worry. I'm here. So I want to have a time right now where I just pray for those who are filled with anxiety, for worry about the coronavirus, about, about a lack of food, about whatever is going on. I want to say a special prayer. And it's a prayer of thanksgiving that Jesus is alive. And it may be that you're, if you're at home in a small group, you may want to press pause after this prayer and you may want to have a time of communion. You can then press play and watch the rest or engage in the rest of our worship. We, those of us who are here, are going to have a special time of communion at the follow at the end of our service today. Let's pray. God, when Jesus was on the cross, his followers were full of despair. And yet it is that cross that we look to today and know it gives us hope. On that morning when they thought our Lord was in the tomb, they were full of anxiety. And yet it was that empty tomb that today gives us hope. And it is always your way that on the day that we feel anxious, afraid, depressed, lonely, hurt, that when we look to you, we find the light, we find answers, we find our spirit being calmed because your spirit lives within us. And your spirit speaks to us to say, it's okay. I have it covered. May the body of believers feel that peace today. And may it spread out into our world today. May today be a day when Jesus, the Christ, is lifted up on high. And we can sing hallelujah because of who you are and what you have done. Thank you for the work of your son on the cross and our resurrected Lord that is waiting to come and reclaim us today. In his name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to press pause and take communion now, you can do that. Or you can continue with our time of worship with us this morning. song this morning, and this song is called Christ Be Magnified, and in a time of anxiety, in a time of uncertainty, this is our anthem, that all of creation uh, is praising Him, no matter what we see in front of us, that the Lord is still sovereign, that He's still in control, that He's got a plan, so let's just 
echo with creation. Let's sing, we're creation. We're creation, suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry. Then from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be
times like this. Lord, this prayer is especially relevant. May this be the anthem of our heart in this time. God, that you would be magnified, glorified, reflected in our lives. God, that wherever we go, we would be a beacon of your love and your hope to a world that's looking for where they can find that hope. And Jesus, we thank you for your compassion and your kindness on us and the promise that you've made to work out all things according to the good of those who love you. And God, we know you don't break your promises, that you're always in control. Lord, I'm so thankful for the special moment that this is and the special church that we have, um, not just people in this room, but so many who are in their living rooms worshiping together. And God, we are united today, if not physically, spiritually, because of the hope that we have in Christ, the life that is flowing in our veins because of his blood that was shed for us. And so today, Lord, we thank you for your power, for your love, and your life. We're united in you. It's in Jesus' name. Let's all pray together. Amen. Amen. Well, those of you here, you can go ahead and have a seat. Let's prepare for God's word this morning. Good morning, everybody. So glad that uh, many of you are joining us online. We have a lot of uh, families, uh, small groups, those that are traveling. You may be sick. You may be checking us out for the very first time, but we are always glad to have whoever is joining us in our online community. And I know you've experienced a great encounter with, with God this morning. My name is Keith. I'm a pastor here at Christ Church. And uh, Pastor Greg last week kicked off a series that we're doing uh, on the life of, of Jesus and why he matters. We're looking at who he is and what he did and why he matters. And we're using the Gospel of John uh, to look at his life. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 3. So if you have your uh, Bibles there in your living room, those of you that are here, if you can turn to John chapter 3 this morning, that's where we will uh, begin. And we're in John 3 all morning. So, In Andy Stanley's book, how good is good enough, he tells a story about a Sunday school teacher who is teaching his six-year-old class. And the assignment he's been giving is to teach his six-year-old class how someone can get to heaven. So to, to discover how much his kids knew on that subject, he decided to begin with a few questions. So he sat everybody down in class and he said, okay, if I sell my house and my car and I have this huge garage sale and I give all of that money to the church, does that get me into heaven? The class immediately said, no. I mean, all at once they said, no. He said, okay, let's say I mow the church yard every single week. I clean the church building every single day. I make sure that everything is nice and tidy. Does that get me into heaven? And all of his six-year-olds immediately again said no. He said, all right, then what if I am kind to animals and I give children uh, candy and I love my wife? Does that get me into heaven? And they all said no. And he said, well, then how do I get to heaven? And one of the little boys in the back row stood up and said, you've got to be dead. He's got a point. I think if you were to ask most people in our world, how do you get to heaven? Their response would be, you have to be good enough. You just think about this 
coronavirus that is going around. And when things like that happen and the stock market begins to crash, it causes people to take an inward look. And it causes people to wonder, what if the worst happened? What if I get this disease? And what if I succumb to it and I, I, I die? What then? And it causes people to think, I hope I have been good enough. Because there's this mentality is, in order to get to heaven, you have to be good enough. The problem with that is, then how good is good enough? This morning, we look at a religious guy in John chapter 3 who comes to Jesus asking the question, is my goodness good enough? Next week, we're going to look together at John chapter 4, and there's a woman who comes to Jesus who asks, is my badness too bad? In both conversations with both people, Jesus reveals why he matters. So let's look at John chapter 3 and this guy named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus. If I could describe Nicodemus in one word, it would be the word good. If I could describe him in two words, it would be the words very good. And if there were three words, it would be very, very good. Nicodemus was a good man. Look at what it says about him in John chapter 1, or John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, just in those two verses, you see some incredible credentials that Nicodemus has that gives him the credibility of being a good man. One thing it says about him is that he was a Pharisee. Pharisees loved to follow rules. They were law-abiding people. They wanted to accumulate the laws and the rules to live by. So they would go back to the Old Testament, and they took the Ten Commandments, and they were living by all ten of those commandments, but ten weren't good enough for them. So they opened it up and went back to the entire Old Testament, and they extracted all of the laws and the rules that were given in the Old Testament, and they came up with 633 rules that they were going to obey. But of course, when it comes to living by rules, you have to have rules to help people follow the original rules. Like, uh, for example, you'd have one uh, law in the Bible that says you are to keep the Sabbath day holy. Then in other places, they would extract where it would say you are to not work on the Sabbath day. Work for six days. But on the Sabbath day, you are to rest. You are to keep it holy. So the Pharisees would sit down and they began to write down all those things that could be considered work. At the end of the day, they had come up with over 10,600 laws and rules for people to live by in their life. Nicodemus had devoted his life to following those rules and those laws meticulously. So one thing about him is he is a Pharisee, and it says, secondly, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of 70 men who directed uh, the, the direction, who, who ruled and provided leadership for the nation of Israel. So he's one of 70 that make up the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He's in a leadership role in the Sanhedrin. And not only that, it says that he was a teacher of the law. In fact, Jesus uh, calls on him in verse 10. And it says about him in verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Now, that's, uh, that's translated exactly right. Are you the teacher of Israel? Because in the Greek language, he was not just a teacher. He was not just somebody on staff. He wasn't just working to get his master's and his doctorate. What it says in the Greek language is he was the teacher in all of Israel. Scholars say he was one of the most respected teachers in his day. He was the teacher of Israel. So he is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is the teacher of Israel. And the Bible says that he came to Jesus with curiosity and caution. 
he was curious about Jesus. He had heard stories about this carpenter from Nazareth who had, uh, he was teaching and preaching with authority and he was performing these miraculous signs and it caused him to be curious about this man Jesus. I doubt he was there at the wedding in Cana of Galilee when Jesus turned the water to wine, but I'm pretty sure he had heard stories about it. I don't think he was there whenever Jesus touched the leper out of compassion and said, be clean, and the guy's leprosy all went away, and he was completely clean. But I imagine that story got back to him. And as all these stories about Jesus, this carpenter with authority, performing these miraculous signs, trickle back to Nicodemus, he is curious about this man. He wants to find out more about Jesus. And maybe that's why you're watching us online this morning. Maybe you're curious too. You're investigating Christianity because you're curious about this man. Because you've been searching for meaning and purpose and significance in your life. And whatever it is that you've been doing, it hasn't been working. And that's what Nicodemus is finding out. Everything he's been doing up to this point just isn't working for him. He's not finding significance in life. And maybe you're joining us this morning, and it's the same reason that Nicodemus is wanting an audience with this carpenter. And not only does he come with curiosity, he comes cautiously. At the very beginning of verse 2, it says that this man came to Jesus by night. I bet he did. I bet he came by night. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was the teacher of the law. After all, what would all of his colleagues say if they found out that this the teacher of the law is searching for an audience with Jesus? What would his friends think? What would his family members think if they knew that this highly credentialed individual is searching an audience with Jesus? I want you to notice that Jesus honors his curiosity and his caution. Because Jesus doesn't say, hey, why don't you make an appointment? I'm a busy man. You know, I've got a schedule to keep. He doesn't say, why don't you come back tomorrow during the daytime? That's when my office hours are. At night, I kind of like to have some me time. Instead, Jesus honors his curiosity and his caution, and he'll honor yours. Maybe you know a Nicodemus. Maybe you are a Nicodemus. And you come out of curiosity and you come with great caution because after all, what would all of your co-workers say about you if they knew that you were investigating Christianity? What would your family members say if they knew that you were really curious about this man they called Jesus and can he really offer the meaning and purpose that you were longing for in your life. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus longing for that. And I want you to notice the response of Jesus. Notice how Jesus answers Nicodemus. Nicodemus has come asking the question, is my goodness good enough? I was born a Jew. I'm a Pharisee, which means I'm a rule keeper. I am a member of the Sanhedrin, so I'm in leadership. I am the teacher of the law in all of Israel. Is my goodness good enough? It's a question that most people in our world have. I want to be good enough. And that's what Nicodemus says. Is my goodness good enough? And Jesus looks at him and says, no. No, it's your, your goodness just isn't good enough. He responds in three different parts. He says, first of all, Nicodemus, you've got to start over. Everything you've been doing, you're, you're just going to have to go back to the very beginning. You're going to have to start over. In verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Merrill Tenney says that that word cannot is a word which can be translated two different ways. One way is prohibition. That unless you are born again, you are prohibited from seeing the things of God. Another way that it can be translated is inability. That unless you are born again, you don't have the ability. You are unable to see the things of God unless you're born again. It's like if, if you were to take somebody to the beach who is blind, and you take them all the way up to where the water is closing in on your feet, and you describe to this blind per person the, the beautiful stretch of white sand on the beach, and all the waves that are crashing in, and the turquoise waters, and the sun that is setting as far as you can see, and you see the red and the orange and the yellow colors of the sun, right, just as far as you can see, as the sun sets, and you're describing this entire scene to the blind person, and you're saying, this is beautiful, can you see the beauty of the sunset? It doesn't matter how beautiful it is, it doesn't matter how well you're describing it, a blind person doesn't have the ability to see what you see. And I believe what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you don't have the ability to see the things of God. I want you to see those things, but you don't have the ability. You've just been going through all the motions. You've been doing a bunch of exterior things. You don't have the ability to see, what, to see the things of God compared to those people who have been born of the Spirit. You've got to start over. I don't know if you played this whenever you were a kid, but uh, remember the game Red Light, Green Light? Remember that? It, it was back in the day when kids played in the yard. And uh, you, you would have uh, one person who was it, one kid who would be at one end of the yard, and their back would be to everybody else. And they were it. And so all these other kids were lined up. And the goal was to run, walk, do whatever it took to get past the one who was it. And you were the winner if you were the first one past him or her. But the it person, they would call out and they would say, green light. And everybody would start walking or running and then say, red light, and would turn around. And if he didn't catch you moving, you got to stay where you were. But if he did catch you moving, what did you have to do? You had to go back and start over. You had to go back to the very beginning. I hated this game. Because the guy that was in would say, green light, and I would take off, and I would either run or I would kind of go slow, and I'd be watching him or her. And then they would say, red light, and turn around. And if they said, Keith, I saw you move, I would cheat. I would say, I wasn't moving. You didn't catch me moving. I would argue with this person. Now, I'm sure that he was cheating as well. He would always say, you know, the guy you're moving that he didn't like, and his girlfriend never, she was never moving. But whenever he would say, I was moving, I would say, no, I'm not moving, and I would argue. And the reason I would do that is because, as a kid, I didn't want to start over. And as adults, we're not much different. We don't want to start over. And yet, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're going to have to start over. And he would say the same thing to us. You're going to have to start over in the way you think. You're going to have to start over in the way you view your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're going to have to start over in how you do things and why you do things. It's time for you to start over in the way you're thinking. And so... In verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's saying, How in the world am I supposed to do something like that? How can a man in my position, a Pharisee, a part of the Sanhedrin, the teacher of the law, how can I go back and start over again? And so in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where, I wish, where, where it wishes, and you, and 
and you hear its sound, but you do, not, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He says, Nicodemus, not only do you need to start over, you've got to start differently. You've really got to start differently. He's saying, Nicodemus, you, um, you've been living your entire life doing this flesh thing. And what you need to be doing is this spirit thing. It's a different thing. It's a different way of living. This flesh thing, that's uh, going through all the right motions, and you go to all the right places, and you do all the right stuff, and people look at you and they say, oh, now that is a man of God, because look at all the stuff that he's doing and all the activities that he's involved in. He said, that's all a flesh thing. A flesh thing is inward, it's internal, it's visible for everyone to see and call you a man of God. What I'm talking about is not a flesh thing that you've been living. That's the track you've been on all of your life. I'm talking about a spirit thing, and a spirit thing is outward. It's external. It's invisible. It's based on what God is seeing in your heart. It is the heart that you're bringing to God. It's your heart that's being transformed. It's not what you're doing externally. It is what is happening to your heart internally. That's what matters, and that blows Nicodemus. Demas away. LeBron James is arguably the greatest player in the NBA today. Luca is a close second. LeBron James has won three NBA championships. He's won four most valuable player awards in the NBA, and he has won two Olympic gold medals. He's had a 17-year career. Uh, just an incredible player and probably is playing his best basketball ever this season. What Jesus says to Nicodemus is like us going to LeBron and saying, Hey, LeBron, what you're doing is great, but you're playing the wrong game. The, the game is not basketball. The game is tennis. You've got to learn how to play tennis. He would look at all of us and he would say, that's ridiculous. I mean, that, that just sounds crazy. And that's how Nicodemus is responding because Jesus is going to Nicodemus and saying, Hey, Nicodemus, what you're doing is you're playing the wrong game. You're doing all this flesh stuff, and it's not about the flesh. It's all about the spirit and your heart and God transforming your heart. And it's about a relationship. It's not about all these rules over here. It's about a relationship that you have with Jesus Christ, a growing and devoted relationship to Jesus Christ, not to a rule book, but to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. But as long as you focus on the external stuff, you're going to fall way short. It's like me asking all of you to, to go out into our parking lot here on our church campus and grabbing a stone and throwing it towards the University of Dallas and saying, you've got to throw that stone onto the University of Dallas campus. It doesn't matter how great an arm you have. It doesn't matter how accurate a throw you make. You're not going to be able to pick up a stone from here and throw it all the way to the campus of the University of Dallas. You just can't do it. You're going to fall short every single time. And Jesus comes to Nicodemus and says, you're going through all these motions externally and you're going to fall short every single time. You may be the greatest teacher in all the world. You may be the best rule keeper that I've ever seen anybody as far as keeping rules. You may be the best at those things and even then you're going to fall way short. You've got to start over and you've got to start differently. And what Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says to every single one of us. Because we have this mentality that says, I've got to do everything just right. And I've got to be good enough. And so I think I'm a pretty good, I know I'm not perfect, but I think I'm a pretty good person. I really do. I don't I'm cheat on my my spouse, I pay my taxes, I'm a pretty good neighbor, I'm a part of a church community, I pray when I'm in trouble, I read my Bible whenever I remember to, I uh, volunteer at good things, I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus would say, you're missing the point, it's not about being a pretty good person. Because even when you're a pretty good person, you're good enough isn't good enough. You've got to start over 
and you've got to start differently. Which leads to the question that all of us have, that Nicodemus has. So Nicodemus says in verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus then says, you've got to start with me. You've got to start with me. In verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, all of his life, has been trying to ascend into heaven by his good deeds and by his rule-keeping and by his goodness. And Jesus is saying, nobody ascends into heaven like that. But, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John uh, takes two words here and mashes them together, and they've never been put together before. It's the word believe in the preposition in. He's saying it's not enough to believe that something is true. You have to believe in. And if you believe in the Son of God, there is a transfer that is made. And God transfers to us eternal life. Nicodemus, if you will believe in the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, then I'll make the big swap. Well, what swap? I've been, I've, been, I've been trying. Nicodemus, it's not about trying. It's about trusting. You trust in me. You believe in me. You place your weight upon me. And I'll make the big swap. And I will take all of your badness and filth. And then I will swap with you all of my goodness and righteousness. And I will give you a brand new life. Well, why would you do that? Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And if you were to read on, you would think that's the end of the story. What did Nicodemus do? That's what I want to know. I think he made the swap. Two more times in John's gospel, Nicodemus's name is mentioned. One is in uh, John chapter 7 and verse 50 and 51, where he stands up and defends Jesus in front of the entire Sanhedrin. All, all 69 of his colleagues, he defends Jesus in front of them. The other place is in John chapter 19 and verse 39, where they take Jesus' body off of the cross, his dead body, and they hand the body to two men who anoint him with oil and spices and wrap him up and place him in a tomb. One of the guys was Joseph of Arimathea. The other guy was Nicodemus. I think he made the swap. And the question is, what are you going to do? Because Jesus stands before all of us, and he says, I'm willing to make that swap today. But you've got to start over. You've got to start differently. And you've got to start with me. Listen, I don't know what your parents told you growing up. I don't know what your Sunday school teacher taught you. I don't know what some church pastor said to you. I don't know what your intellect has led you to conclude. But I do know that the only one that has been in heaven and on earth and has come back to earth, the Son of Man, says if you want life on the other side, the only way to get there is to trust in my death as the payment for your sin. Your good deeds are not going to outweigh your bad deeds. Your goodness just really isn't good enough. The Bible doesn't say, for God so loved the world, that he gave us a bunch of rules to follow. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world, that he gave us a bunch of stuff to do. It says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. Your goodness is just not good enough, but his perfect is. That's why he matters. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we love you.
And we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. And it's in his name that all of us here, as well as all of you um, watching us online, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Okay, I've got um, all the announcements are about how we as a church can be the church. And there's a great opportunity. You know, some of us are here in the church building, but the church building has never been the church. The church are those of us who are going to make a difference in our world. So let me tell you some things that we're going to do. First, I'm going to send out this afternoon some information from the Irving Schools Foundation. Uh, most of you know we made a commitment to help feed all the children in our school district that suffered from food insecurity. And we had all that planned, and yet now the schools are canceled through April the 3rd, and so we've got a lot of kids who are going to be at home without food. And so, um, look, here's, here's how God works. We, we built, here at our church building, we built enough food for all the kids through uh, spring break. Without knowing that was going on, there was another group, a corporate group that had gotten together, and they built enough food for spring break. So it's just God's way. We have enough food for this week, spring break, and the next week, which gives us time to create food bags for the following week. There are six different schools in Irving where they're going to be distributing food. We're going to be putting together individual food sacks. And so I'm going to send you information that has the items that can go into those sacks, and we'll make those individually, and then we'll deliver those to one of six different places in Irving. You'll be getting information about that. Number two, on Tuesday afternoon, we're going to be working hard between now and then to identify needs, immediate needs that we have. And Tuesday at noon, we're going to be sending that out to our entire church so that you can react to that. Um, that's Tuesday at noon. We can't do it. Look, we've done all we can just to get here for Sunday. And so we, the next two days, that's what we do. Number three, if you have a phone with you right now, please pick it up and go to ccrespond.com. ccrespond.com. You can do that right now. Now, let me tell you why that's important. As soon as Jennifer got off the stage, um, I asked her if she could put this together, and she said, I can do half if Nick will do the other half. And so Nick went upstairs, and they've just in the last 20 minutes put together the capability for you to click one button that says, I need help. That allows you to type in your name and your contact information and describe the kind of help you need. Maybe you need help driving to the doctor or you need food or you need something else. That's one button that you can click so you can let us know the needs that you have. The other button right below that says, I can help. And maybe you'll click that and fill that out and let us know that maybe you have extra food that you could share. Maybe you have the capability to drive people or to deliver things as they need to be delivered. Maybe financially you've been blessed and you can do, uh, you can commit, if we know that some of those needs are financial, we can reach out to you to help us in those ways. And then we have another, uh, we have one box that says other. So maybe there's something unique. And if you'll go there, then that will let us pair people in need with people who have the capability to do that. So please do that today. That will help us as we look between now and Tuesday at what those needs are. Um, I mentioned the young lady that sent the email about needing the food. Here's the way it works. Somebody's going to say, my neighbor three doors down. Well, here's the way that works. Um, Molly got that email. She went into her cupboard and her refrigerator, and she put together two big bags of groceries, and she brought them this morning, and that mother came and picked them up. And it may be that you have neighbors three or four doors down and that God's called you as the church to put together a little care package if you know that they are without and we share all things in common. We know that at Christ Church, no one's going to go hungry. Um, we're, we're, we're stockpiling some money for those if they lose job, if they need financial assistance, we're going to do everything we can. This really is a great opportunity for us to do what we at Christ Church do best. So we look forward to that opportunity. Okay, I'm going to ask the guys to put the questions on the screen. If you're at home and in a small group, we would invite you to go ahead and just discuss these three as they relate, as they relate to Keith's um, message today. And I'm going to close us with a word of prayer. And then those of us here in this room will have a time of communion together.
God, thank you for an opportunity that as we wash our hands, that we might also throw a towel over our arm and get ready to wash the feet of our community to serve like never before. We're ready. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys.